Welcome to the Whistle Way Podcast. I am your host today. My name is Brian Kochi, Director of Media here at Whistle Realty Group, and I am joined by our Director of Inside Sales, Rachel Chu. Hi. Rachel, tell us a little bit about what you do before we get into this. Awesome. Will do. Thanks for having me. Um, so my job as director of inside sales, I manage our inside sales team. So I do a lot of the coaching, the training and overseeing um, them. They handle all of the leads that are inbound to our company um, and work those to make uh, qualified appointments for our outside sales agents so they can spend more time working on business that's ready to go right now. Perfect. And so if you guys are listening to this on a podcast platform, we'd appreciate a review telling us how we did. Um, that helps us get the word out to other people. If you're watching this on YouTube or on Facebook or on anything, I guess on YouTube, give us a, a like, a subscribe, let us talk to us in the comments. And if you'd like to get more information about kind of what we do or more information to help you with your business, um, visit us at thewhistleway.com. That's where we have information about our uh, where we have our YouTube subscribe link, we've got our um, referral list or referral uh, where you can join our outbound referral list. Um, we have our Facebook group, we have our uh, monthly or weekly newsletter, and we have information about um, so our podcast and information about our Media Mayor Mastermind, the um, online course that Kyle and I have put together that where we teach everything we know about video um, to help you make a video series. So anyways, all that is on thewhistleway.com. Kyle's way better at that whole thing than I am, but whatever, we got through it and we're good. Um, so Rachel, you mentioned you are the director of Inside Sales. You help uh, manage, train, hire an ISA team. Correct. I kind of want to talk about all that in this episode. Um, this episode is going to be great for those that are um, real estate agents and or team leaders looking to um, bring on an ISA team um, or uh, someone as an ISA that wants to kind of learn what the team leaders are looking for or someone like you that's a director of inside sales to kind of help prep them to get a better sense of their team, a, a better way to manage it or organize it and hopefully pick up a few tips. Um, the first thing, let's go right into hiring. How, how do you find someone to hire as an ISA? Yeah, great question. So um, if anybody's paying attention to the job market right now, it's a great time to be looking for a job companies are hiring. And so um, it's our job to try to find the best talent. And so we do a couple things. I would say the best platforms we found, at least for posting the job, if we're you know starting from scratch, um, Indeed and LinkedIn have given me probably my most quality applicants. So if you're looking for at least a place to post, I would say those are the best two if you just want to narrow it down that we've had a lot of quality candidates come in through there. Um, and then as far as um, finding people themselves, I think I look for a couple things. So you'll hear from different people, you know, how to hire an ISA, what should be the profile, what do I look for? So um, I've had the most success when looking for people with an high I in their DISC profile. If you don't use DISC to identify, um, you know, personality traits, I'd highly recommend educating yourself on DISC profiles, D-I-S-C. Um, it's super helpful when working with clients, coworkers, candidates. Um, but essentially we look for people who have high I, which means that they're, they love talking to people, they're driven by conversations, you know, they wanna have that social interaction. So 
I'm looking for that somewhere in their personality profile. So part of the uh, interview process, I do have everybody take a disc profile assessment to see if they have that, because um, I don't want somebody who is not going to be filled by talking to people all day, right? If, if you don't like talking to people, you're going to hate being an ISA. So I want to make sure that they're happy in this job and you know we're happy with them too. So I'm looking for somebody who has a lot of I in their profile, like I said, meaning they like to have conversations and be social. So that's one thing. Um, I'm also looking for a high degree of emotional intelligence. I actually don't care about uh, background or work experience. You don't need to have experience in real estate or on the phones, but I'm looking for people who are emotionally curious, who like talking to others, who have questions, who are great conversationalists. So a lot of the times my interviews are not necessarily, uh, you know, the standard, tell me five things about yourself. What's your birth, you know, what's your weakness or, you know, those standard interview questions that you hear all the time. I try to kind of have it be a little bit more informal because I want to see how they carry a conversation, how they ask me questions to keep the conversation going. And so in that way, what I'm actually looking for is, are they picking up on the details that I'm talking about? Can they loop it back into the conversation? Are they asking me questions back or is this just more of a transactional Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. You know, that kind of interview style. So I'm looking for people who are comfortable having that kind of dialogue in an interview process, because then I know that they'll be comfortable having that same kind of dialogue with strangers on the phone. Um, so those conversation skills are huge. Confidence is a big one. You know, you, you can't see each other's face. And I think a lot of people have anxiety over um, those phone conversations. So having you know, confidence in your personality is a really helpful tool as well. And then I really want to see somebody who has a growth mindset. You don't have to, you know, have your life figured out, but I, I ask, I like to ask questions about what they do for personal development. Um, if they read or watch podcasts or what kind of things they're interested in, um, because that will tell me, you know, are the, is this a person who's curious and who is, you know, interested in learning and, you know, growing themselves. So I would say those are the top things I'm looking for while we're interviewing. Awesome. And so one thing, um, we've, I know we've had discussion based on this and sure. we've made a decision one way. I know a lot of people also have this question. When you hire people, are they licensed or unlicensed in terms of the real estate license? Yeah. So to widen the net, I don't require them to be licensed upon coming in, um, especially because a lot of the people who are already licensed may have a certain idea or, you know, limiting beliefs in their head about how real estate should work. And so sometimes that can actually make it harder to train somebody. Um, but I do make it known in the job posting and upon my first interview call with them that they will be required to obtain that license within six months of being hired. So if they're not already working on or haven't expressed a desire or they're not okay with obtaining that, that kind of filters them out of the um, you know, hiring pond. So as long as they're willing and able to get it within that first six months of hire, they're good to go. But I don't require it upon hiring. Awesome. Now, I know there's kind of a, there's a fine line that you're, you're searching because you're looking for someone that wants to be in real estate, wants to make some good money, but doesn't want to be an agent. How do you figure out, right? Because we're not looking for someone that wants to do it. We've done it where you had to be an ISA before you became an agent. We've had it. We've had all sorts of different things, um, but we're looking for people that want to be an ISA long-term. Is that right? Correct. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that in, in mindset and just in general of understanding the position is that people look at I, being an ISA as, oh, this is just entry level. You know, they're just kind of calling and um, that's not, you know, that's not at all what we're looking for. And that's not how we've have built the position to be here. So maybe in some other organizations, inside sales can be more of that rudimentary, just, you know, reading a script and yes or no. Um, but what we're looking for here at Whistle the, our ISA team is the foundation of our sales department. Our leads come through here. Everything is built around them. So we're looking for 
quality, talented salespeople. And honestly, I would say, you know, you're hoping that your ISAs are going to be even more um, on their game with sales skills than even some of the agents because they're doing it all day. And so in order to do that, um, you know, you need to find somebody who's financially motivated uh, because, you know, it is hard work being on the phones with people all day. And we want to make sure that, you know, they, they have some financial incentives since I know a lot of real estate is a lot about being tied financially to the outcome and being successful. So that's something that's important. And I think to understanding a personality profile, like how much, you know, by just asking good questions, you know, what do you see yourself doing? What about real estate? Do you like, you know, if, if their answers are things like, oh, I can't wait to hold open houses and meet people face to face and, you know, you know, X, Y, and Z and they're listing activities that are all more of an agent, I'm going to, you know, suggest that maybe that's a better fit for them. But if they're more about, oh, I really want to make money. I like talking to people, you know, I want to learn more about real estate or I, I I've done phone sales or I, you know, this or that. I think it's just about asking good questions and, you know, not forcing someone to a box just because we want to hire an ISA. And if they say, oh, well, I want to be an agent, just saying, well, try this, you know, you got to let people be themselves and we can't force somebody to do something that they don't want. But, you know, I myself thought I wanted to be an agent at first and I would try being an ISA. And once I got into this role, <laughs> I'm, I think it's a much better fit. And there's a, a lot of perks that I think people don't realize. So I think it comes down to asking good questions and just setting those expectations up front. Like we let our own ISAs know, hey, if this is something you commit to, you know, this is at least a two-year commitment. It's not, you know, a graduated role. So I think letting your own salespeople, you know, all of your agents know that it's not a, hey, this is a first step, then agent is a second step. Hey, we're equal salespeople. We're just doing different things. I'm, you know, in the office and you're out in the field. So just being really clear about how that works and what everyone's role is. And one of the things that I think you've done a really great job is, is really utilize your team as a, um, as a training force for our agents. Like you said, they're, they're on the phones every day. So your ISAs are not teaching our team agents how to hold the best open house. That's not their lane. Right. But when qualifying leads, when, when reaching out to cold prospects, when having uh, text and email scripts, like that's where your team has really um, come as a as a resource. And I and that's one thing I think everyone that I've talked to that has had ISAs kind of struggles with, and we're not unique in this situation either. Yeah. Um, of that, like you said, that 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 graduated step up program that ISAs can be seen as as lower level or as less talented. There's just different lanes. Um, totally couple things I want to touch on before we get into kind of how we, how do we track our ISA team and what, what do we look for as good behavior. Um, I want to talk about um, the pay. So people always ask how much do we pay? We're in San Diego. We probably pay more than a lot of people. Um, but we know that they're not going to be able to make as much as an agent. So if, if their number one priority is, I want to get a big house and three Rolexes on each arm at all times and every different one every day. Uh, that's probably not the right role, but how do we structure our pay structure? For, let's let, and let's talk about how we structure it if they're unlicensed and then how we structure it once, once they get licensed. Absolutely. So great question. Uh, what we have found is in order for everybody to win our agents, our company, our ISAs, we all need to be tied to the same outcome. So uh, we we're, our pay is structured a couple different ways. So obviously ISAs need a base salary, you know, um, they get benefits and all that. Um, so they're, they're an employee of the company of, of our company. And so 
they get that base salary, you know, just to make sure that that's something they can focus on, right? Because the commissions aren't going to be as large. They're going to need a salary to live comfortably and, um, you know, have a good life here in San Diego. So we do offer a base salary. And then they also get a percentage of the GCI at closing, right? So part of the way that we've split it that up is, you know, sure, you have your base salary to, you know, get things going, but you're only going to get paid that commission upon closing. And so what that does is it keeps us from setting, you know, appointments of low quality just because they want to set appointments, right? And we're not focused on, you know, different goals. The agent and the ISA is both focused on closing deals, getting qualified people to meet, to transact, to go pending, you know, and, and close those ultimate deals. So that keeps us in line. It helps, you know, the ISAs be better at qualifying people and understanding, hey, is this somebody who can close or am I just setting an appointment? I know I've talked to some other teams who pay bonuses off of appointments set or appointments met, but what that does is then you, you know, end up setting these lower grade appointments with fewer intent and then the agents get upset and now there's this rather than, hey, we're working in harmony as a team to try to close this together and get paid and celebrate. So it helps company culture as well as, you know, everyone's wallet if we're all focused on the same goal. So for that reason, they get a base salary, but they also get a percentage of the gross commission at closing. Yeah, and we've done it like like you said. We've done it. I think we've done it every wrong way possible. So um, <laughs> you got to you got to break some stuff to figure it out first. <laughs> I, well, I think we broke a lot of things. Um, and so we have done where you pay at, um, um, sorry, we have done it where you pay at close or at uh, appointment set or sure. appointment met. Um, and like you said, that doesn't work really well. We have done it where it's strictly commission-based, no, no, no base. But the problem with that is, you know, we, we do a bigger set of the commission. But the problem with that is it takes a while to get up and running. Right. And a lot of people can't go live in San Diego for a month or two months or three months without getting paid. Because um, you got to nurture the lead and then they got to oh, right. it. And so we've done it that way. Um, and so we, we've kind of found a good middle ground of, uh, a bonus of they get what about a thousand dollars per closing is that am I far off there no it's usually between with our price point right now it's around 800 ish 800 to a thousand you know depending on the price point right now it's been you know closer to 850 to like 1200 per closing okay yeah and so that with it in their salary they can they can make 50 60 70 k Pretty oh yeah, easy. we have top earners in the 90, you know, some of our top people are making around 90, 85, awesome. 90. So. And now we say that and that's great and that's cool, but that isn't agent money, right? We all, we all know that. Sure. Um, I mean, but- it's, Well, <laughs> it depends. It's better than a lot of agents out there, but- <laughs> Right, well, it depends. Um, but they get things like you mentioned, which I want to make sure it's very clear. They get things like hours. Right. <laughs> they work five days a week. They don't work seven days a week. They work right. eight hours a day. They don't work 12 hours a day. Right. They don't take phone calls at 9.30 on a Friday night. When it's, Some when of them do, by choice though, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> they're so, not so there's obviously the benefits there, but they work, You have, we have what, seven ISAs? We have six, yes. Six, and they work, so we have coverage every day of the week. We do, yes. So either we're all here together Tuesdays through Thursdays. Those are our big, busiest days. Um, and then ISA's weekends are either a Friday, Saturday or a Sunday, Monday. So that way they still are getting, you know, those two days, like you said, having that time off in one of the weekend days. And we have coverage all seven days of the week. Excellent. Um, that's that, that's that, that's that. 
Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, when we first started, I think, with the ISA program, even before I came in, uh, when a lot of people, I think, they say, you know what, let's just hire a company or let's hire a, a, a VA and have them do this. Um, tell me, what's your thought on having a VA do, I, I want to talk about in-house, which we have, right? We have six people in-house at a desk in our office right behind you versus um, out of state or out of country? Yeah, so I, that's a great question. And I think it depends on what your goals are, what your budget is, you know, what are you looking for your ISAs to do? Obviously, as a large real estate company, you know, we have the resources to pay for you know, multiple people to be on a salary and to, you know, you know, make this operation work. Um, but, you know, depending on where you're at, or if you're somebody who's looking to start an ISA team, or maybe just have one, you know, there's a couple different options. So there's pros and cons to both. Obviously, cost is going to be a lot, you know, lower if you're outsourcing it somewhere else. Um, but the benefits, I think, of having it in-house or hiring somebody who's local is you get to build that rapport really quickly about local knowledge. So because we're in real estate, you know, if somebody's looking in La Mesa to be able to say, oh, you know, I love, you know, going to City Tacos right there. Have you tried Surf Rider Pizza? Or, you know, those conversations come up or, oh, I want to be north, you know, people will say, oh, I want to make sure that I'm south of the 52. Oh yeah, the traffic gets so, but right. To be able to have those nuanced conversations about the location builds the rapport so much faster and gives you that trust with the client immediately. Whereas if, you know, you hired somebody in another state or another country, um, this, the conversations with the ISAs and the clients are going to end up feeling a lot more scripted and transactional, like, okay, how many bedrooms would you like? You know, you, you don't have that local knowledge, not that you couldn't learn it, but we found that you know, it's a lot more free flowing to have people who know the area, who live here, who understand the market, who can speak to local events, build that rapport with the clients. Um, and additionally, in, in order to have that successful handoff with the agent, having the ISA and the agent know each other and have met in person and understand each other um, helps that handoff go a lot smoother, right? It's not just I'm talking to person A and now I'm getting transferred to this other agent and they don't know each other and they can't really speak to them. So um, that's really important when you're uh, you know, a client and you can think about it as yourself. If you've ever been to, you know, people have good doctors and bad doctors. And if you've been to a doctor's office where it just sort of feels like you get passed off from person to person and they don't, you know, you answer the same things over and over again. And by the end, you're like, oh my gosh, I've already said my issue five times and I'm still waiting. Right. Versus, you know, having the nurse who comes in and gets everything ready and fills in the doctor, the doctor already knows what's going on, comes in and you're like, great. And you're, you know, you're helped right away. Right. So that's a, a kind of a good analogy to think of it is if, you know, a lot of times if you're outsourcing that you're going to have that more uh, bumpy kind of uh, handoff. Whereas if it's in-house, everybody knows each other. We have a process that, you know, they understand the nuances of the relationship. The client's going to feel a lot more taken care of and it leads to a lot more closing. So for the way that our model works, we found that that's extremely helpful. But it doesn't mean that, you know, you couldn't have a successful ISA overseas or, you know, out elsewhere. It just would require a lot more training. So it all depends on, you know, how much work you're willing to put into it. One thing I wanted to talk about when in pay, and I forgot until just now, is, and you reminded me in closings, you all, you said we're working to the same goal, right? The goal is closings. That's what we all get paid on is closings. We don't get paid on contracts. We get paid when they close. The thing that I really like about this, and this is something we hadn't done in the past, but when we focus on closings, the ISA is not only the first point of contact. They are the first point of contact a lot of times. They, they get an inbound call or they reach out from, from one of our leads. And so they are the first point, but now they get to kind of follow this person through the transaction. 
Um, they get to help remind the agent, hey, how did that go? Or, hey, don't forget so-and-so is allergic to shellfish. I don't forget. Yeah, that doesn't make any <laughs> sure. sense. But right. yeah, right? like, so they get, they get to be, it's their client as much as the agent's client. They Absolutely. work through it together. Um, and that's something where it used to be, again, you kind of talked about this handoff process of, okay, now I go to the next person and now I start over. And now we get to kind of, the ISA gets to help the, this person go through the transaction as their guide, as a, as a partner to the real estate agent, not as my phone caller person. Exactly. Yeah, no. And I think that's great too. And one of the things that we script with and kind of how we explain to clients, Hey, you get two agents for the price of one, you know, we're here on the ground helping, you know, facilitate while, you know, so-and-so our agents out, you know, in the field and maybe can't get to your call. You're always going to have someone to go to. And so having that dual, you know, that support for a lot of people is attractive and it's helpful because, you know, agents have a ton of stuff going on and there's a lot to juggle. So to be able to have a fallback for, Hey, you know, this is also my client too. And I can help send that property if you don't have time or, you know, so it's, it's, a team effort the whole way and it makes it a better experience for both the agent and the client and the isa because you have a team you know helping and uh, all all moving towards the same goal perfect last thing i want to talk about before we get into our widget is okay we so people have found they go okay i got it i've hired my team i've got it well actually before we do that how many isas do you need per how many leads can an isa handle or like how do you know how many to book to, to buy to how many isas to hire so this is a difficult question because it's also, this is largely going to be dependent on what kind of systems you have in place, how much auto, how many automations you have. Um, different ISAs have different capacities and work at different speeds. And so honestly, this is something that we've, this is actually one of my current uh, issues that I'm facing is I'm trying to figure out that exact number right now. And so I don't have, <laughs> that's a real time, something that I'm trying to figure out, but typically, you know, and we found this with our agents as well, everybody can handle a different amount. So depending on how efficient you are. So now that, you know, a lot of the ISAs that we have right now, currently about more than half the department was hired less than six months ago or about six months ago now. So now that they're fully in the role, trying to figure out, okay, now that you're trained, you know what to do, how much can you take off? But a good rule of thumb is to make sure to, to see how their follow-up is doing. If they're, um, if they're, you know, can get through all of their leads, all of, you know, what we use, we use follow up boss, we have segments, but if they can get through all of that um, and they still have time to fish and, you know, go fishing in the pond or call through old leads, right. They're not at capacity. So we haven't hit that point yet. And, you know, everybody has, and I can pull it up really quick. Um, we've got, you know, several thousand leads within their pipelines. Um, so it, it all just depends, but a good rule of thumb is they need to be get be able to get through all of their follow up every day that they're working, um, or you know at least by every second day so nothing falls behind. And if they have time to fish in the pond, that means they have time to take on new leads. God, I have a thousand more questions on that, but I don't want to go into it because uh, I want another get time. To, <laughs> another time. I God, I love that. Um, but now, okay, so we found them, we've hired them, we have enough people. What are metrics? What and what metrics should we track? And again, let me tell you, I don't know the answer to this, so I'm curious what your answer is, but I know we've done a lot of things. We've measured everything from number of phone calls to talk time to uh, hours worked to uh, appointments set, appointments met, contracts in, closings. Like what, if you measure everything, you're measuring nothing. And right. obviously we talked about some of those things are not the number one thing to track. So what, what are the most important things to track? 
great question. So obviously, like you said, <laughs> you can look at a million different things. There's a, there's a lot going on as far as, you know, what you can look at, but I've kind of narrowed it down. Like I said, because, you know, we need to, <laughs> we need to make it somewhat focused. So um, one of the things that we look at, um, we have a weekly meeting. So I have the, all, have all our ISAs, they know their numbers, they can track them. Luckily, Follow Up Boss makes that really easy for us as well. Um, but every week, the first part of our weekly meeting as a department is we have a scorecard as a team that we look at, you know, let's see how we did for the last week. And so I'm looking at a couple things and I'm actually adding, a, I'm glad you asked this question now because I'm adding a couple um, this month to kind of track some more stuff. But what we have been tracking historically and have always tracked is dials per week. So how are we at? And that's an effort metric, right? So how many outbound dials are we doing a week? Uh, you know, obviously that's just part of the equation as a lot of our businesses through texting. We currently don't have a great way to track all of our inbound texts because we use two different systems, but um, dials is something that I can track for effort. And obviously, you know, the phone conversations are what move the needle the most. So we track dials per week. We track conversations per week. And to us, a conversation is a two plus minute call. So we can't, we know we can't really get much out of somebody for any less than that. We're not really having an in-depth conversation. So we do track that. I don't, it's not something I review so you can see you know shorter conversations but we're always tracking two plus minute conversations a week real quick um, a point, yeah before we go through so um do we we have minimums or requirements or right for these yes we do so can you as you tell me what we're tracking can you also tell us and again it's it's a very system and a big thing that can vary is um what your lead sources are so i, I want to be very clear that this is not the be all end all if, if they're doing inbound leads that they've already filled out 10 questions, we should have a much higher quality lead than if they're doing circle dialing or stuff like that. So Right, exactly. And so the that's, first one, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, I think that's really important. And we're doing, you know, we're working internet leads, we're working inbound leads, call-in leads. You know, we pay for, you know, high quality internet leads. So I would say compared to maybe, depending on where you're at, because we have an abundance of leads, um, I probably have a little bit of higher standards than, you know, if you're just calling through really old leads or cold leads who have, you know, not expressed any intent or filled out any forms. So um, good caveat to, to switch in. So dials per week, what's, and of course, if someone misses it one week or, if they miss dials per week, but they're crushing it with closings, we're not going to, we're not going to say, well, you're fired. You, you missed exactly. three dials. And so, I'm looking, of course, and that's a good caveat as well is it's not, you know, the iron fist, if you miss something, right. We're look. I'm looking for patterns. So if you're, if you're missing something multiple times a week, that's where we're going to have a conversation about it, see what we can do better. But generally, you know, this is what our standards as a department um, and everybody can see it as well. So it has that competition, you know, element. So dials a week, we're looking to have at least 375 dials a week. Um, that's usually an, a pretty easy one to hit. Um, and so we have a, you know, our measurement for that and then conversations. So that's those two minute plus conversations with a client. We're looking for that to be, I'm stretching, we've hit, we're in the thirties. Usually I'm trying to push to make it 40 per week, but currently if we're hitting 30, um, that's phenomenal, especially with a lot of our conversations being over text. Um, we're, we're looking for 30 phone calls, uh, conversations a week. And I want to add to that. I believe I remember when we looked into this, it was originally we had the conversations really short at like 30 seconds or something like that. Um, make sure you know how your system tracks it. I believe, and don't correct me if I'm wrong or if you don't know, I don't, I believe that follow-up boss counts conversations. It, it counts the seconds that it's ringing. Is that correct? 
Uh, I, yes, it does. But since it's only rings 30 seconds, if they're at least talking to somebody for, you know, a minute and for almost two minutes, you can, you can get enough out. We all talk quickly. We're in a, so I, I don't, you know, nickel and dime over that, especially no, no, no. because most conversations are longer, but yes, it does track the ringing. If you have a fub, if that's something that, you know, that you don't like, always just be aware of that and then move it to, you know, let's say three minutes, but. Well, and, and I think two minutes is still plenty, but I think yeah. we were tracking it at 30 seconds. And the ringing was like 25 seconds. And we're like, <laughs> wow, we're doing great with conversations. Right. And then we were like, we're no, not talking that's, a, that's five seconds or, or at most. So yeah, so just keep that in mind if your system does that. You might think two minutes is a lot. I want to do one minute. But 30 seconds, if, if it rings for 30 seconds and you talk for 30 seconds, it's nothing. So just keep that in mind. Right, absolutely. Um, and then for appointments set, we're looking for ISAs to set about 10 appointments per week is our goal right now. Um, we're currently, you know, we're if you're setting around five, that's, you know, that's minimum, but we're, we're trying to stretch now that we've been hitting five consistently to try to get 10. So um, and that's per person. you want to be setting at least one a day is, you know, rule of thumb, um, cool. one per person a day for days worked, which we've been hitting, but, you know, we're always looking to grow once we've hit a certain standard. Okay. So we got deal, uh, dials a week. We've got conversations. We got appointments set. What else? We also have tr are tracking appointments met, right? Because we want to make sure that the people we're actually setting appointments for are meeting. So we're looking to have at least six appointments met a week. Now, do we look at that number as a hard number or a percentage? So uh, yes, good question. So I, the way that we track it just for the ISA's purposes, I just have them track it as a number. They know their own numbers. We look at them in our own one-on-one. -on -one, so they, the percentage that we use in CSU, they can see what that is. Um, it's just for the, our meeting purposes, it's easier if we do numbers, but yes, we, I look at both um, and my role on the back end to see what our conversion percentages are. Cool. So with these numbers, the, we're looking for about a 60%, um, Correct. And, and different ISAs have different goals, right? Everybody's at a different, you know, level of expertise. And so I have, you know, individual goals within them, you know, if somebody's working on something, but as a whole, we're looking for like a, at least a 60% show rate. Cool. And then this is less about, um, you know, uh, no, specific, uh, you know, there's not KPIs around this, but it's something that we like to look at. Um, so those are the those are the main KPIs, but I also want to know how many listings they are signed a week from the ISA team, how many of our VIP buyer agreements get signed a week, how many new pendings we get, and how many current pendings we have, as well as year to date closed. So there's less of a, a it's more to have a leaderboard and to see our progress. Then you know I'm not gonna <laughs> nobody's gonna be in trouble if they didn't get a new pending this week, right? But it's a great way to weekly share. Hey, look who's got a bunch pending right now and celebrate each other's hard work. And so keeping track of that also is just helpful so they know you know where things are at in the pipeline so that's something else that they report each week but there's no kpi around it cool yeah it's also great to bring leadership team and say look how much my team is doing we're we're kicking ass <laughs> like and yeah. as you should you should you should be and you do a great job of of advocating for your team so i think that's great I'm very lucky. They're a great bunch, but yeah, it's good to just keep a pulse on that. And, you know, like I say, or not, like I say, I read this somewhere, I can't take the credit, but I read somewhere what gets measured gets done. So getting really clear about what you want to measure and, and, uh, and track will help your team, you know, move in the right direction. And you're going to measure the wrong things. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we've measured some wrong things that was, you know, just waste of time. Like so, there's certain things that, you know, don't, it just doesn't move the needle. So for us, 
we're looking towards closings. How, you know, how do we get there? Conversations get us to appointments. Appointments meant get us to appendings and closings. So we're looking at those driving metrics more than anything else. Some other things I'd like to incorporate um, are speed to lead. Um, obviously, I want to start tracking how fast we're outreaching. That's not something we're currently tracking. So I'm currently working on getting a uh, measurement system in order to track that as well. Um, so that way we can uh, have a metric on that and help our clients even faster. Cool. Rachel, I could go for like three more hours. I think this is already a longer episode than we tried to go. Um, this is phenomenal. I think this is great, great, great information for literally anyone who's considering ISAs. Um, if you are a solo agent and have no intentions of ever hiring someone, then no, this is not the episode for you. <laughs> not your episode. But, but if you're in a, a position where you're looking to leverage time, um, you leverage your time to be able to do more things with the, the amount of time we have in the day, um, either an agent looking to grow a team, a team, an ISA themselves, or an ISA manager, I think all of this is going to be really, really helpful for a lot of people out there. So thank you, Rachel. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. If you guys like this episode, please let us know. Give us a thumbs up, a comment, uh, a share, whatever. Share this with someone that is looking to build a team or that you know that has a team that you need that they could improve upon. And if they can't improve upon their team, then you're someone's high. Either you're high or they're high, but we can always get better. Um, and then let us know in the comments. Rachel is one of our most favorited uh, video makers on our YouTube channel. Let us know in the comments either what you got out of most out of this episode or more importantly, what you want on a follow-up uh, video. Because I, again, there are so many things that I wanted to go over longer, but we were, we ran over time. Um, Thewhistleway.com is where you can get all of our information about our Facebook group, YouTube channel, um, outbound referral list, uh, podcast, Media Mayor Mastermind, where we teach you how to do videos, all that cool stuff. Before we go, I want to go into our whistle widget of the week. This is something that we use in our business, in our daily lives. Something that makes things a little bit easier, a little bit more fun, saves us money, saves us time, or just something we like doing. Um, Rachel, I'll let you kick this one off first. What is your widget of the week? My widget of the week, well, let me preface this really quick. Um, I've been trying to be a little more intentional with my mornings. I'm trying to get out of the doom scrolling habit where I pick up my phone and I go on Instagram immediately. I know it's a bad habit, but I have to replace it with something because I'm so ingrained on going on my phone. So uh, my solution to that, um, I got this app called Gratitude. Um, it's a little yellow, uh, yellow heart uh kind of ombre colors. And essentially what it is, um, it's a little, it's a super easy way to just type in your phone, a couple things that you're grateful for each day. And so rather than, you know, having to wake up and get a journal and all that, you just pick up your phone. And rather than going on Instagram, I type in three things or two things or whatever I'm feeling grateful for that day. And it just helps my day start off in a better mood than immediately getting on social media or checking email or doing all the things that I know we're guilty of doing. So I highly recommend it. There's a free version, a pay version. I just have the free version that, you know, is pretty simple, but it does the trick, uh, isn't too complicated and definitely helps with mental health and attitude. I love that. Is there a, a way to share that with people? Can you, can you share your, what you're grateful for with someone or? Yeah, I believe in the paid version, you can do a lot more with that. And if I, you know, end up continuing to use it, I'll probably upgrade, but for now it's just a log. There's also a section for affirmations. If you want to work on wealth affirmations, or, you know, call, if you're somebody who's anxious about certain things, um, there's different quotes of the day, the daily Zen quote. So 
Um, you can make a little vision board in one of the sections at the bottom. So it's just a good place for you know goal setting, positivity, and um, all around positive mental health um, awareness. Cool. I love that. Yeah. That's great. Uh, my widget this week, I don't think we've used it, but if we have, I don't care. Um, <laughs> I've been using it today. It's a Chrome extension that helps you sound like you actually know how to write. Um, Rachel's a fantastic writer and I am not. And so uh, I usually say like, the sky is blue. And Rachel's like, I stepped out this morning with a cup of coffee in my hand and a beautiful, I'm like, yeah, the sky is blue, next. <laughs> um, and so this, this extension is called WordTune, W-O-R-D-T-U-N-E. And what you can do, there's a free version and a paid version, is you highlight a sentence um, and it, you, it'll, it'll make that sentence sound better. Um, it'll give you like three options on, on making it sound better. So you can be like, um, turn off the ceiling fans. And it was like, it's like, please ensure that all the ceiling fans are turned off before my arrival. It, it does like really cool stuff. So I think the free oh. version gives you 15 free uh, sentences to, to redo a day. Um, I want my VAs to use this because it's it can turn uh, decent sentences into actually well-spoken sentences. Um, it's really cool. I, I've always I've had it always. I'm always afraid to use it because I don't want to use it up, and therefore I never use it. But today <laughs> I had um, I had to tweak something that I was going to give to my VA, and I just literally copied and pasted it, word tuned it, and I'm like this is way better. And I forgot I how to do it. So, Work smarter, not harder. You know. So I think I'm going to pay the three bucks a month or whatever it is to make it just, it's, I don't know if that's it, but it's, it's phenomenal. It's great. So sure. my wish of the week. Good to know. Awesome. So thank you guys for joining us on the Whistle Way podcast. We will see you next week.